Hey everybody, Jonathan checking in here. Just so you know, this is the second part of the episode. So if you've not listened to the first part yet, you want to go back and listen to it uh, in the prior weeks. We should have it labeled on the on the episode title, what part one is and part two is. Uh, so you should be able to listen to that uh, in the, uh, see that in the title of the episode, if it's uh, what episode uh, of episode it is. So thanks. Welcome to the Tooth and Coin Podcast, where we talk about your adventure of being a dental practice owner. Uh, In these episodes, we're going to be talking about problems that you will likely face as a practice owner, as well as give an idea about actionable solutions that you can take so that you can get past this problem in your practice. Some of these concepts are really big ones. Some of them are very specific, but we hope that these episodes help you along with your journey. Now, a very important piece for you to understand is that this is not paid financial advice. This is not paid tax or legal advice. Uh, We are not your financial advisors. We are not your CPAs. Uh, This is two CPAs talking about informational and educational content to help you along with your journey. It's a very important piece for you to understand. Another thing you need to know is if you enjoy today's content, join us on the Facebook group. So we've got a Facebook group that is active with dentists that is going to have content talking about what we're talking about today to continue the discussion. Agree with us, don't agree with us, have a story to tell, have something to share, join us in the Facebook group. If you go to Facebook and you search for Tooth and Coin Podcast, click on it to join it and be able to join us there. Finally, if you need some more help, we're developing a list of resources that are going to be centering in around our topics of discussion to be able to help you a little bit more than what the content is doing. So if you'd like access to that whenever it becomes ready, all you have to do is text the word tooth and coin, T-O-O-T-H-A-N-D-C-O-I-N to 33444. Again, that's tooth and coin, all one word, no spaces to 33444. Reply with your email address and we'll email you instructions on how to get into the Facebook group, as well as add you to the list to be able to send you those resources when they're available. And if they're available, we'll go ahead and send them to you as well. So on to today's episode. I hope you enjoy it. You know, we work with around 250 offices and we see there are just differences in dental practices. Um, so a PL to me is a fantastic thing to look at and to, to get to have an understanding of what's happening. But to me, you have to be you have to be financially savvy enough to, 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 to calculate out that seller's discretionary earnings um, in order to be able to calculate what the actual profitability of this practice is from the dollars and cents perspective. Once that is done, you would then um, look at those different key categories, which again is another area where I find a lot of dental practices financials don't have things properly segmented inside of their financials. So you can't do that. So um, the the presentation of the PL for dental practices is, is, is just as important as um, you know the under the the understanding because you and I could look at a financial statement that would, would come to us and if it's a if it's not a really really well defined PL, I mean we've seen PLs that came through that have had 10 expenses on it. Like and that's all the expenses on the PL. Like they have nothing else. And wages. Like, yeah, wages. Like payroll taxes Supplies. is added on that, insurance is on that, you know, um, uh, um, I, they had a consultant probably in wages. They had like, you know, they probably did some recruitment that was in wages. Like it's just all in one big pile, one big line item. And you can't, you can't, you can't define anything out of that. So presentation is just as important. Um, 
as well. So what about you? What are some things that you, what are other things you like to look at on the PL? Cause I got, I could probably talk about this for another two hours. Yeah, no, I, I, I like to look at the owner's discretionary expenses and really make sure that you're able to do that. You know, anytime that you're ever going to buy or sell, you know, it's in everyone's best interest to do what's called normalize the financial statements, which is what Jonathan just described there, which is like all of this stuff that the owners run through that are ordinary, necessary business expenses. If somebody else came and bought the practice out, a PE firm or a bigger company comes out or DSO, whatever comes in and buys, like they're not going to spend, you know, $18,000 on the travel to take you to, you know, eight CEs across the country, right? They're going to come up with probably a more cost-effective way to do that. So I like looking at the owner's discretionary expenses. I like looking at labor and seeing kind of, you know, how much are we spending on labor? You know, one of the calculations that we make for our clients each month is what percentage of your money are you spending on clinical staff, uh, hygiene staff, and clerical staff divided by your top line revenue? And one of the things that we try to get that benchmark, we try to get inside the, the benchmark of the industry and if they're significantly outside of that benchmark, like in a bad way, you know, if we want that number to be, let's say, 25% and that number's at 35%, then that tells us that that's something that we need to dig into. And some people might just say immediately, oh, that just means we need to cut salaries and cut staff by 25%. You know, but, it, but then if we just kind of look at the top line and we're like, well, the practice only collected like $20,000 this month. like. It sounds like it's probably more of a collections problem and a in and a top line revenue problem and a production problem and you know maybe an AR problem versus you know spending too much in wages. So um, so you know we I, I like to look at that. Uh, you know I I think that when you look at your people and we've we've talked a lot about leadership inside this podcast. You know the 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 people that are inside your practice that are helping you make this thing go uh, certainly are a big huge asset to you. They they officially go on the P and L. Uh, but I want to make sure that, you know, we can put it back and challenge the staff and say, hey, look, we need to grow the practice uh, in order to, to justify the money that we're spending on all of the people that are here. Uh, and, you know, I, that's that's something that I look at. I like to look at supplies and labs and figure out if that's kind of something that's significantly out of whack. You know, if you got twenty thousand dollars in collections, but you're spending twenty five thousand dollars a month in labs like anybody could tell you that's a problem. Right. Uh, so I look at supplies. Uh, look, like to look at labs, like to look at wages. Uh, and then I'm just kind of looking for like any crazy stuff that sticks out, any, any kind of big uh, piece, like, you know, going back to the comparative piece that we're talking about with the balance sheet, you know, I like to look at a PL and I like to look at, you know, this month versus the past three months or four months or five months. So I can see if I can note any trends. And then if all of a sudden I see an $8,000 expense that pops into an expense category, maybe something we need to look at, like what's going on here. It's like, Oh, well I had to replace the roof, you know, or I had to replace the AC or I had, you know, a piece of equipment that I bought. Well, maybe that doesn't be on, need to be on the P and L. Maybe that needs to be on the balance sheet. You know, maybe we've got kind of a bigger problem here. If we see huge, huge increases I, and like the, the, the technical term that we call it in the accounting world is that we're going to do an analytical review. We're going to analyze, we're going to look at what all has happened, um, so those are, those are some of the things that I'm looking at when I'm looking at a PL. I'm looking at wages as a percentage of revenue, like all the money that you're spending. So like, obviously that's going to include whatever your 401k matches, whatever your health insurance is you're paying on behalf, your payroll taxes, like all of that goes into paying for your people. I'm going to divide that by the top line revenue and see what that number looks like. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that it's important. You know, you were mentioned in the 10 line income statements we've seen. That's why it's important that wages need to be separated out. It's like, what do you mean you put your doctor's wages in with your doctor's family, in with your hygiene staff, 
And that means that our wages are now 290. Well, of course they're out of whack, right? Because, you know, we need to separate those things out to determine whether or not we're spending our money wisely on our staff. Completely agree. You know, um, someone, I was listening to the, I was having a conversation with someone on a podcast years ago and they're like, well, you know, taxes are your number one expense as a business owner. And, and I, and, you know, and that's a line that has been fed to so many people. I think probably even I heard that in tax class when I was taking a tax, you know, one and two in college or whatever. Um, but in dental practices, that's not the case. Taxes are not your, you know, if you add up all the different types of taxes, you know, they're, they were talking about income taxes. That's the narrative that usually given around that. You know, your staff is your number one cost. Um, it's your number one investment is the way I'd love to be able to rephrase that and be able to get it re, re, the, the paradigm change of, 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 of practice because, um, you know, you're, if you're spending 25 cents out of every dollar that comes in the, in the practice up to 35 cents out of every dollar that comes in the practice, uh, on your people, then your practice that nets, let's say 40%, you know, if you're paying 40% in taxes on 40% of your, of, of what's left over, you're only paying 16% in taxes, 16 cents per dollar out of, um, for your, for your staff, uh, for your tax income taxes, whereas you're paying 25 to 35 cents per dollar for your staff, big difference, right? So your people are your big difference. And, um, and that's a good thing. You know, you want to pay people to do a good, do good work for you. Um, you know, I, I've definitely ran into CPAs that I, or to clients that have had CPAs in the past that have said that, oh yeah, you're, you're overpaying your people by this much money. And this is, this is how you're going to get your payroll in line. You're going to clean house and, you know, lowers everyone, lower everyone's wages by this amount. And it's kind of makes me sick that, 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 you know, that, that can wreck the practice if it's not done really, really well. I will say it is possible to have an overpaying problem, um, to pay people a whole lot more money. But to me, and I, we use this concept in our firm, I would rather overpay for good people and have my life be easier than have to worry about the $1,500 a year that I'd be saving if I, if I was trying to not be competitive with my wages. Like this is a pretty bold statement, but I would think that as a dental practice owner, you should be wanting to pay, be the highest paying person in your, in your area for doing a good job. Um, because you want the best people, you don't want the, the worst people, the best people can raise you up really, really high. And so staffing costs definitely look at, but from a percentage base, from an analytical standpoint, yeah, we gotta, we gotta have some type of understanding of how to rein in the, the these numbers on our staff, um, to be able to have, to be able to give some type of context on how we're doing how well we are spending our money. And that's what we say. We're answering the question of whenever we do an analysis of overhead for every month for our clients is it's literally the question that this information comes in. We have, we have a four questions report. And one of the questions is how well did you spend your money? And we have an overhead analysis that gives you a percentages of these things. Um, so definitely staff, definitely supplies, definitely labs. Um, but another thing that I really like to look at after I've looked at profitability and I've looked at the balance sheet and everything like that is I like to look at growth expenses. What are we reinvesting in what is going to happen in this practice? And are we seeing growth off of those set expenses? Um, we've got a lot of clients that have 0% of their, their fund fees or their, their revenue goes to growth expenses. Like nothing. They don't spend anything on advertising. They don't spend anything on consultants. They don't spend anything on like, you know, big new courses or things that they're trying to learn or anything like that. But they're still growing. <laughs> and then we have people that will spend 15 to 20% of their, uh, of every dollar that comes in on these things and they're not growing at all. So 
uh, effectiveness of growth expenses is a very in, important number that I like to look at just when I'm trying to say, you know, because that's a very quick thing for me to be able to t- tell a client is like, look, your growth expenses are really, really high. And um, we're not seeing any revenue growth. Is this an effective use of our spend of our, of our money? Um, because I love that you're willing to invest in the growth of your practice. That's what you're supposed to do as a business owner. But is this the it's most effective use of that results. money? And for de- exactly. So for dentists, that can be a really big deal. Um, that's like a that's a that's a really 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 big deal is effective use of advertising spend um, or growth spend, consulting, whatever it may be. Um, and that's that's something that gets lost a lot whenever you analyze financial statements too much. Is you know what are you know how how well how, what what is our ROI? I I don't go into such fine detail as saying you know we need to know the cost per lead of everything that happens from every single campaign or anything like that. I, I just hope that you've hired someone that's smart to do your advertising that does that for you. Uh, and then you can validate those things down the road. I don't think that you should be spending, you know, 30 man hours a week trying to figure out just how effective those lead funnels were or anything like that. Um, so from, from the PL, those are the big things. Um, you know, I don't, I, 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 obviously we back out interest, appreciation, amortization, things like that. When you do the, the normalization and seller's discretionary earnings, I don't put a whole lot of weight into looking at interest, appreciation and amortization. Um, like I'm not, I'm never going to look at like an interest ratio or anything like that for dental practice. I don't think it's really a, a very fruitful of a, of an endeavor. Um, I might very briefly see like, Oh, it's, you know, there's $30,000 in interest. This person has a lot of debt, but if I've already, if I looked at the balance sheet, I've already known, noticed that. So, um, if I'm looking at, is this a, well, is this is a good set of financials. If I see that $30,000 in interest and I see net, uh, and I see no debt on the balance sheet, then, I, then that makes me just roll my eyes and throw the things in the trash because I know that it's probably not a good financial statement. Not good financials. Or interest is, is recap. Like, one, like what else have we, I've seen? Um, I've seen like credit card fees be put to interest statement, interest expense. And um, I've seen, um, there's just so many things you see get stuck in there. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, that, so that, to me, that's what the PL is for is, is show, you know, number one, um, got it, it has to be well, has to be well put together, just like the balance sheet, just like the same to cash flow, or else it's almost worthless. Um, you're looking at revenue, uh, and then also, you know, comparatives, you know, how again, you know, we look at um, whereas the balance sheet is a snapshot of time, a PL is a uh, is a is a story over a period of time. Um, so whenever you're looking at the stories, you have to compare the story, you have to compare period over period to be able to tell that what are, what are so in terms of that of, of how to com- use comparatives inside of PLs like how do you look at versus the past yeah so so one of the things we were talking about with with the balance sheet is getting a chance to look at some different ratios right so we talked about like the current ratio current assets divided by current liabilities uh, and how we need to basically figure out a way to create a, a level playing field. So, you know, if your practice started out at $400,000 in collections, you add five more practices and now you're at $4 million in collections, right? Like that's not exactly the same to look at a top line revenue number. So one of the things that we do on income statements is we look at it as a percentage. So we look at what is the percentage of revenue that we're spending on all of these different things. So like if we're just going to hop straight down to the bottom line, we take the net income divided by the top line. So if you made $100,000 in net profit, divide that by a million dollars in practice, your your net income was 10%. So as, as mentioned there, right, we're going to also make the adjustments that we need for the owner's discretionary expenses, probably going to back out depreciation, amortization, and interest. And we'll be able to get like a pretty clear picture 
as to how we're doing running a $4 million practice versus a $400,000 practice. True. You know, obviously the, the net income, the bottom line is going to be different, you know, but if you're making a 2% return on a $4 million practice, you know, maybe you were, maybe you were ahead to not be a $4 million practice and maybe you would be ahead to stay $800,000 practice. Yeah. Right. So like we're, we're constantly going to look at the percentages of those things. And, you know, as you're looking at those over time, you can compare what's the net income look like? What's the staffing look like as a percentage of income? You know, you mentioned the growth expenses, Jonathan. It's like, you know, as we grow and as we get established in this market, maybe it doesn't make as much sense to spend as much money on marketing once once our quote name is out there. Or it may be one of those things we need to slow down the growth in the practice. So we're going to decrease that. So, you know, what do all those things look like as a percentage of revenue? So I, I think those are the things that I'm looking at uh, in terms of in terms of kind of looking at things over time. What do those percentages look like and how are we doing and what's our net profit dollars look like, our net uh, percentage uh, look like? And, you know, how do we how do we advance it towards the towards the goals that we have in mind, whatever those goals may be? Yep. That's the reason, you know, we, we started the whole conversation with the financial statements is saying that, you know, they're they're a body of work, but they're not they're not the end all be all that a lot of people think, you know, we're. We're probably there's probably some dentists that are listening now that think that they're be, we're almost being blasphemous by saying that financial statements don't answer every single question that it has to do with the dental practice, <laughs> um, and you know to, to the concepts that you're talking about, yeah, I mean the, the the concept of diminishing returns versus scale is something that happens a lot in service based businesses, um, which diminishing returns just as a quick explanation of that is as you grow larger, um, the effectiveness of things or the, the 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 profitability of things can't does typically go down unless you have really big economies of scale. There's a lot of people trying to cap, craft a narrative about the DSO space saying that, you know, oh, we've got, you know, 20 offices and we get this economy of scale and our supplies and like, we're going to make tons of money on that. And like, when you think about it, okay, let's say these, let's say that you can actually save 10% on your supplies. If you have economies of scale, you know, your supplies are only like 7% of your revenue. That means you're going to save 0.7% of your total revenue. Of 1%. Yeah. That, are you really, are you really trying to grow to, you know, to 20 locations so you can save 0.7%? Um, like that's not the purpose of that, right? You want to get, so the whole, the whole number gets bigger. Um, the other part about that is, um, you know, um, diminishing returns, a really easy concept for me to be able to, or really easy example of that is, um, when a business grows to a certain size, uh, the way I tell people to, to imagine it is think of it as a capacity. Think of it as like a circle and your, your total capacity is that circle. Uh, I've also told people to use it, think of it as like a glass like that you fill with water. Um, when you get to a certain size, you're, you may be overflowing with water. Your circle is about to burst and you've got to expand capacity in some way. When you expand capacity, there's a very few ways you can do that. You can add time, which means it may open more hours. You can add people uh, or you can add space. And if you already have like an effective use of people, but you have access to space, maybe space is the best way to do it. If you're like your people are maxed out in what they're doing in a day, a lot of the times what that usually looks like is you adding an associate. And the associate is a really good example of a diminishing return because in order to have someone there that's a that's a, a practicing dentist, you know, you can see a dental practice's profitability go from 55% all the way down to like 30% almost overnight when they add an associate in because they're paying this associate so much money to be there comparatively to when they were there before. It's one of the reasons what's super important to not be adding an associate before you're really ready for it. And there's a lot of different things around what being ready for it means. Um, like you know, new patient flow, um, capacity utilization. There's a lot of different things that go into when that's right for the different dentist um, and cash flow too. And also, like you said, goals. Like, what is it that you set out to do, and how does this help you address those goals? So, 
the diminishing return concept in that is that there's a point in time where if you're a full-time dentist, that's very busy. Say you have 2000 patients, you've got like a hundred new patients a month coming in. You got 2000 patients already and you're maxed out and you've got you know, two and a half hygienists and you've got, that are maxed out and booked out four weeks in advance. And you've got two assistants that you're already working out of two and a half chairs a week, uh, a day on. Um, and you've got two front office people that are just, you know, stressed to the max, you know, maybe the only thing you have left to do is that an associate. And once you do that, you know, immediately after that, you're not going to have 4,000 patients. A way that I tell people to conceptualize the, the, the capacity of a single dental practice owner or a single dentist is somewhere between, depends on the dentist, somewhere between 1,500 and 2,500 patients, maybe up to 3,000 patients. In order for you to have two dentists there, you have to have twice that number of patients. It's just simple, like, right? You got to, it has to be, it has to be that way. And to get to that, to, to, once you've, once you've upgraded your glass, the bigger glass, you got to have more water to fill it. In order to get more water to fill it, you got to have a patient flow. Um, if you've got hundred new patients a month coming in, you have a, you know, and you've got a new person coming in, it's going to take you to get to 2000 more patients, at least 20 months to get that full, full capacity. Now you're also going to have attrition. So that's going to create a little bit more of a flow, a little bit longer time for you to be able to hit that point. But, but in that time frame between the time you add that associate to the end of that time, you're going to have, um, uh, you're going to have a diminishing return. You're going to have an investment in that new person. You're going to be making less money usually because usually you have what's called the cannibalization of production, or that's a term that I call it. Um, because that in order to feed that person that came in to work for you, you got to give them some of your production and they usually don't produce as much as you used to produce. And so you're all, and then you're also paying them 30% of that. <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot of different pieces going into it, but in terms of the growth and scale, whenever you're looking at a P and L, you know, if I look at some, if I look at a practice that has had a, an, has, an, has had an associate for only six months and I looked at that practice a year before, it's going to look very different. So to, to the question of, you know, to, to the determination of the growth and things like that, it's really important you have a, you understand your path, what you're trying to accomplish with this practice. I talk to dentists every day. Um, you know, one person will be like, I want to get to a point where I'm doing 1.5 million a year in revenue, no associates, nothing else going on. I work four days a week and I'm killing it. I have other people that said, I want to be, I want to own, be adding a new practice and a half every year for the next you know eight years everybody has their own path and everyone's right at the same time. You know, what's right for one person is not right for the other, but the P and L's will say different things because the P and L of that guy is adding an office every year and a half. They're going to have a lot of, they're going to have a lot of growing pains. They're going to have a lot of cash flow issues. They're going to have a lot of profitability issues. They're going to have a lot, just a lot of issues because there's just the, the missing component in that is time. And that time usually leads back to the non quantitative numbers or non-financial numbers, which are more practice management in nature. So those are really important pieces. Another thing that I, we talked about earlier that I wanted to talk about is the break-even point. So when I'm looking at a PL, a lot of the data that goes into your break-even point comes from the PL. There are things that come from the balance sheet as well, technically, um, or the statement of cash flow technically, but the break-even point is a really, really good number for you to be able to tell as a business, like, you know, if I don't really have a whole lot going on, if I, if I, if I, if I break my arm next month, how much is this business going to cost me to keep open or what's the minimum amount of money I can produce in a month and actually start making money? Or if I want to make say $30,000 a month, how much do I need to be made bringing in collections? Your break-even point is a, is, a, is a number that would be involved in each of those answers. Uh, and so, um, and I think that's a, I, I was always dumbfounded that people didn't calculate that, um, you know, internally. Um, and then, 
you know, I have a math background. And so I was like, well, just calculate it out and be it. But the, the, the thing is, it's an, evol- it's an evolving number, right? Like it, it's a number that does, it doesn't stay the same. It has variabilities in, inside of it. And as you grow, it has even more vol- volatility that goes along with that break even point. But in general, you can usually come up with a, it, you know, over time it, it normalizes, right? So we, we give that number to our clients every month. Here's what your break even point is. Um, so they can have, they can have that concept. They can, they can have that context of, you know, well, I want to make $30,000. My break even points $45,000. I got to be producing 75. Right now my average is 55. I got a lot of work to do. They know they got to influence it. They got, they, they're not going to be surprised when they don't have $30,000 at the end of the month. Like they're going to know, you know, what, what, what that is. So what about you in terms of break even point, things like that? What are some of the things that you like to use a, um, a break even point in order to be able to use in terms of management and sort of goal setting and things like that? Hey everybody, Jonathan checking in here. Just so you know, this is the second part of the episode. So if you've not listened to the first part yet, you want to go back and listen to it uh, in the prior weeks. We should have it labeled on the on the episode title, what part one is and part two is. Uh, so you should be able to listen to that uh, in the, uh, see that in the title of the episode if it's uh, what episode uh, of episode it is. So thanks. for today guys i hope you enjoyed this episode of the tooth and coin podcast Uh, if you are going to be a practice owner or a new practice owner and you're interested in cpa services head on over to toothandcoin.com where you can check out more about our cpa services Uh, we help out around 250 offices around the country and would love to be able to have the discussion about how we could help your new practice we do specialize in new practice owners so people that have Uh, are are about to be an owner of a practice they're acquiring, about to be an owner of a practice they are starting up, or has become an owner in the past five years. That is our specialty. Uh, We'd love to be able to talk to you about how we could help you in your services with your tax and accounting services. Uh, And if you enjoyed today's episode, again, go to the Facebook group, talk to us about what we've talked about, um, join in on the discussion, and let's create an environment where we can talk about some of these things so that we can all help each other get through these things together so that this adventure of business ownership is more fun, more productive, and better in the long term. Lastly, if you want access to those resources that we're going to, that we are currently building, just text the word tooth and coin to 33444. That's tooth and coin, no spaces, T-O-O-T-H-A-N-D-C-O-I-N to 33444. Apply with your email address. We'll send you the instructions in the Facebook group. We'll send you the resources when they're available and we will see you next week.